0: Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, this Apologies, this one's been came out a little later than I'd uh, wanted, but I've had a few technical trub, uh, issues here, but back up and running and the plan is to get one podcast out a week for you guys and got some amazing guests and amazing content coming up. Uh, this week really is a, a real corker, David Webb, uh, who's had an amazing career in the game, started off as an, a role in academy football, working at Crystal Palace, uh, and then got involved in recruitment and was the guy who spotted Volfed Zaha. Uh, carried on working, went to Tottenham, went some work at Millwall, done some work at Bayer Leverkusen as well, and then started getting to uh, work in, uh, in recruitment full-time, working at Southampton, and then uh, back at Tottenham with po- under Pochettino, and also has been a technical director at Östersund in Sweden, and also um, Huddersfield Town as well. So an amazing career already. Someone who just speaks really well, really intelligent guy, proper football guy, and amazing, insightful hour of, of uh, football chat here that... Uh, I know you're going to um, really enjoy. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do leave a review. Also, check out my new podcast project, the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast available on all the good uh, podcast formats uh, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, me and my friend Glenn Hicks, um, who also has worked in academy football for many years, chatting about all different football topics. So check that out, and obviously don't forget to download the My Personal Football Coach app. It's free. Uh, train free videos every single week, and if you're interested in the club partnership, checking out the clubs like Arsenal, West Brom, Wolves, and hundred uh, clubs around the world used. Uh, give me a, drop me a little email, drop me a DM on socials wherever and I can set you up a free demo. But without further ado, let's get into the show. So,
1: David Webb, welcome to
0: the show.
2: Uh, thank you for having me. Uh,
1: just can you give us a brief um, just outline of your playing and coaching <clears throat> journey and your work, your work in football at this point?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to show my age now. I've um, <laughs> been in football from a working capacity for about 20 years now held various roles through youth coaching, academy coaching at Crystal Palace, Tottenham, leadership role at Millwall in terms of youth development. Then did some overseas work with Bayer Leverkusen on a consulting basis, profiling recruitment of players. Moved on to Southampton into a recruitment role, 15s to 21s in a full-time capacity. Then went from there in 2013 into Bournemouth, head of first-team recruitment, for a successful period where Bournemouth managed to um, get into the Premier League. After that, I went to Tottenham as head of elite identification, and that was recruiting players worldwide from 15 through to first team. After that, I went to Sweden as a technical director at a club called Ostersund. And then my last role was head of football operations at Huddersfield Town. Wow, so that's um, pretty impressive
1: CV. That's amazing. So, how did you ha- tell us about that first role you did? How did you get into Academy Football Palace? What were you doing, and you know, how did that come about?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> I was pretty young. So I was only sort of 20, 21, 22 at the time, and I was working at um, the old Wimbledon, as it was as it was then, and I was doing sort of a role where I was working development coaches and working in schools, and I was doing like an elite coaching in the evening. Um, and then that kind of, as that Wimbledon, the old Wimbledon, that kind of sort of um, fell apart a little bit. And from there, I was looking for my next role. And I've managed to sort of come across in 2002, and two, three at Crystal Palace as an, uh, as an academy coach. So that sort of really started me on my sort of first route into sort of football, um, sort of elite youth level.
1: How did that come about? Did you apply for the job, or was it through networking? How did that
2: first role come about? Um, yeah, it was through networking. It was through um, when I knew Wimbledon at the time wasn't, you know, wasn't going to cease anymore operating in that capacity. I sort of sent my CV round to a number of clubs. Uh, I kind of knew the assistant academy director at Crystal Palace at the time. Um, he invited me in to do a sort of coaching session to work with the under-10s just as I was, just sort of to see sort of if it was a fit for them fit for palace fit for myself that went really well and from there I continued into that role to take the under 10s on a coaching capacity that year did you did we you involved in scouting as
1: well at that point at palace
2: yeah. what i did was in in the first year i sort of stayed really sort of coaching based the second year what i noticed is cuz i'm from that kind of area south london croydon area it's quite close to Crystal Palace. So what I noticed, there was um, a, probably a lack of maybe sort of like street talent in the club. There was a lot of good players and the scouting at the time was sort of primarily focused on the best teams in the local areas rather than my thoughts sort the of best individuals. And because I knew it was quite a hotbed of talent, um, I sort of worked with the youth recruitment officer that during my free time as well as sort of coaching with the under-10s, this was in the second season, that I would do some sort of youth scouting for Palace as well because I kind of sort of said to him that, you know, we're missing a lot of talent here. There's loads of areas we're looking in areas that, you know, are highly focused where other clubs are looking. Um, And Arsenal and Chelsea at the time were becoming really aggressive in London on the recruitment stage. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough during that sort of period that I came across sort of a young Wilfie Zaha, playing locally wow. um, for a team called Whitehorse Wanderers in, in West Croydon. And we invited and how, him in how old was the, the Daha then? Wilfie was I think he was 10, nearly eleven. So he hadn't been playing football in a sort of organized setting for that long. Maybe sort of maybe you know six months, possibly nine months. And his team he played for wasn't one of the strongest teams in the leagues. It was quite newly formed. Um, some weeks I even struggled for Kit. Um, my younger cousin played for him at the time and he sort of highlighted Wilfie to me and said, Look, we've got this, you know, he's got this really, really good striker who keeps scoring loads of goals. So um, in my free time, I went and watched him play, sort of combining that with the coaching roles at Crystal Palace and we brought him in for sort of back then a six week trial. Um, funny story with Wilfie was he, he struggled to adapt early on sort of the first two or three weeks because he wasn't all used to being in an organised football, but um he played a game against Tottenham Academy, I think on the last week of his of his trial. And I remember the coach saying to me that we're going to give him a game because we're going to have to. And he ended up scoring all six goals. So wow. it, it was just that sort of transference of him coming on, to play in sort of in an academy environment, getting used to that setting. He wasn't used to that sort of level of coaching or that type of sort of um, structured coaching. But if you, when you put him into a game setting, he was um, completely electric. It's interesting there, because there's a
1: couple of things you, you've talked about there, a couple of different strains. One is this thing about the Palace and you know maybe not tapping into those street players, which is, you'd think, remarkable now, because you know when I think of Palace, I think about that catchment area and the yeah. tremendous wealth of like you know those ballers they get here. Do so you think you were like one of the people who helped start that sort of trend off, maybe to get getting more sort of those inner city kids, maybe then rather than the street ballers
2: rather than the, the team players? Yeah, I, I certainly think I had a contribution. Um, <clears throat> not to say they wasn't they didn't have those players in the system, but what, what I noticed was it was very few and far between and when I spoke to the head of recruitment at the time, uh, you know, the sort of areas they were focusing on, especially from grassroots perspective of bringing young talent into an academy, wasn't being focused on. Um, and they wasn't the most fashionable of areas. They wasn't the most, you know, probably well-run amateur clubs, but, you know, they were still raw street talent. And because and I understood the area, I knew the area from where I was from, I kind of knew where sort of maybe some of the gems were. And I think that, you know, sort of open their when wilfie come in it sort of open their eyes a little bit because it sort of give them stuff to think about because at that time the, the coaching and stuff was very structured it was very drill based um, <clears throat> so when you're inviting these young players that you know don't come from that as a background don't come from them structured amateur clubs and they come in completely virtually sort of um, off the cuff if you like and then, then they're sort of integrating themselves into that environment. For them, it's all about the game. So you have to be patient through the training process with them.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, exactly what you talked about him there, mm-hmm. that he, he got into the game, then he did really well. So I remember through my time in academy football, lots of young players are coming on trial, and you'll be like, oh, you know, and as you know, the, the difference between academy football and grassroots level, even if you've been playing in structured sort of training, is huge. So, I mean, and that's obviously so how, how do you. I know that's always interesting. How, how do you develop that? Is that like, I just think that's a natural gift, natural eye they talk about. You can just see that play, you know, potential because or mm. obviously look, some players just stand out. It's obvious you can tell, but having the knack to see that player maybe needs a bit longer to adjust and develop.
2: And I think, I think it's just, I think it's just patience. I think you just have to have patience and this becomes down to the coaching program that the club employs at the time. And, and the coaches that they have at the various age groups as well they are suited that are suited to that particular club. So if you work in a London club, for example, Palace or West Ham, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Fulham, you know that you're gonna, especially now, you're gonna have an, an abundance of, of of talent. So I think you have to have and and the structures haven't the same, you're still gonna get talent from sort of unstructured teams, you know, from all different types of areas. I think you just have to have patience with them. You just have to have patience with them. So, if your program is for this type of talent, you just have to you, you your your programs have to be sort of tailored around to suit these. Because, especially more in the London clubs, because you can you know you can when they what, what I found was especially back then is when they when they're transferring into that academy environment, it's a completely different world to them. So you do have to have you know, a lot of understanding, understand that it's a development path, understand that you know, they're probably more gonna come alive in games where you're gonna see you know, their best assets because that's what they understand. And then you have to sort of get them to think along the lines of that in training as well to transfer your coaching structures to get them to, to almost create sort of like a like chaos in games because that's what they're used to. That's what they're used to playing in the cages, in the parks. So if you can, you know, replicate that in your academy sessions, but obviously in a, you know, in a more structured way, then you know they can transfer the thinking from then the training into the games.
1: Like with your recruitment head on hat on, and also because
2: you worked as a coach in the foundation phase, what's your thoughts in terms of
1: are you one for the big idea about a big base at the younger age groups, or and you know, and as you know, then as a coach, what are the challenges of that in terms of you know intensity and not watering down your session and having the high level sort of thing and the elite sort of you know that sort of thing what's your
2: thoughts on that um yeah I I think again I I think with stuff like that you just have to I think you just have to sort of be aligned and I think if the clubs are aligned in terms of their recruitment especially at the youth phases and with their coaching structures and they have clear communication and clear alignment and and they're working together. Then, then I think it's then I think you've got more chance of being being successful rather than if you've got one sort of program that that um goes up through the ages and it sort of changes in various aspects. And then you've got the recruitment that obviously works mm-hmm. alongside that. Then it's going to give the best chance for the young players to succeed. And also, and now it's about them adapting to that environment. So as long as there's sort of like clear structure pathways for them, you know. Communication all the way through, then you've got the best chance for success for these young players to actually go through. Interesting. And so, so in terms
1: of that, then you move across North London to Spurs, what was that?
2: How did that come <clears> about? <throat> and what was that like? Yeah, so at the time, because I managed to get some of these gems into Crystal Palace and I was coaching, um, I was approached by Richard Allen, who was head of recruitment at the time, and John McDermott had just started to take on sort of a similar role with with higher age groups, maybe sort of coaching with the under 12s, 13s and assisting with the under 16s, but also allowing me the freedom to still go out and recruit because Tottenham wanted to get into that sort of South London area where they felt that there was a hotbed of talent. There was also looking at Crystal Palace players like John Bostock and Victor Moses at the time as well. Um, Bostock transferred over and, I think it was to sort of tap on my knowledge and my resource of those areas. So for my time at Tottenham, it was it, it sort of drifted more towards the end of it, more into recruitment than into sort of coaching. I became sort of like a floater coach so they could allow the freedom for me to go out and coach, um, sort of recruit, sorry. And that was becoming more, then it escalated more into sort of a national level rather than just sort of London-based sort of players from, young players from, and this was going up to sort of maybe even sort of like early first team players that they were looking to be aggressive with and maybe get from other sort of professional clubs. So do you think that,
1: was that the point, did you make a conscious decision that maybe that you were the recruitment line was
2: the way you wanted to go with your career? Um, no, I think I think what really, really focused me on on the aspects of recruitment is when when I was at Millwall, um, I was a youth development coordinator and I was still doing a sort of two roles. And uh, I'd just done my A license and I just started to do a master's in sports psychology because the characteristics side and the profile side was sort of really interesting to me on, on players. So really interesting. And when I did my academy manager's license back then in 2009, you had to do a European study and I went to buy Leverkusen to complete that study. And I managed to build up over the sort of three, four days I was there, some you know, really good relationships and actually ended up doing some practical work with them in terms of recruitment and sort of doing some coaching sessions around the 16s, which was which was really interesting. And from that, um, they asked biology and asked me because of my background of sort of the profiling aspect of players, to if I'd be interested when they get sort of a youth. Play a target, but they was looking at seventeens to nineteens outside of Germany. Would I be interested in sort of lending a scouting eye on that and maybe putting some profiling work on it? At the time, I was still full time at Millwall. Millwall was um, League One, and Millwall was okay with that to combine that on a sort of ad hoc basis. So I think that really sort of after my period at Millwall, because Millwall at that time. Um, went from sort of uh, an academy to a centre of excellence, lost its funding, and a lot of staff was made redundant. So I took a year out after Millwall, did a lot of um, European studies off my own back from European clubs, and then went into a full-time scouting role at Southampton. And that sort of really from from then went to combining always coaching and scouting to just purely focusing on recruitment. Interesting. So,
1: just wind <clears> back a little bit then. So, uh, so, so I worked at Spurs many years there. I and mean, I remember a very unique philosophy and certain players maybe they looked for. Mm-hmm. Did you find that? Would, did, would they, did you go in there and say, well, this is interesting, they're looking for different players that they were at Palace or is it just, they're just looking for good players? That did you think there was a certain type
2: of Spurs player at that time that Maca was looking for? Um, yes, I think I, I think when it comes to sort of 9 to 12s and... and I only did that sort of age groups for a very short period of time. It was just about talent. It was just about talent and Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything in particular. It was just, it was just pure talent, pure raw talent. Obviously the usual stuff that you look for, sort of the technical aspect, the physical aspect, and sort of various little bits they do that, you know, stand out in games. And that's, it kept as simple as that. When it got to sort of the more older ones, then, he started more to more combine those raw talents with more the athletic side because at the time Arsenal was going through that period with Arsene Wenger where they were recruiting sort of a lot of athletic players. Um, when you played against Arsenal Academy, and then Chelsea started to come through with it, they had a lot of players that were you know, very physically adept. So Tottenham started with playing at the time felt they was a little bit behind that, so they wanted to right. um, they wanted to sort of combine still could keep the technical aspects because that was that was the type of player they wanted but they knew they had to sort of look at various other physical aspects as well so that became more of a focus with the older age groups interesting interesting
1: so <laughs> tell us about that then the uh the Southampton one jointon Southampton how that, had that come
2: about <laughs> yeah so at the time David Burke um was head of recruitment and we developed relationships throughout the years when he was assistant academy director at Fulham and it um, sort of came to, and he said, look, you know, I know you've been doing to, over the last year or so with, with your study visits and the Labour coups and the stuff. He said, we're going to have a role coming up sort of like 15s to 21. We're going to be quite aggressive in our sort of recruitment outside. We've got really good internal recruitment locally um, within that sort of Hampshire radius and sort of further beyond. But what we haven't got is someone who knows sort of the national London and elements abroad, um, because I'd done stuff abroad. So,
1: so then tell us. So then that. So that was specifically thinking about players from, from the London area. They're looking to get and tap into that market as well.
2: Yeah. So it was quite a broad range. So it was London area, um, the national, international areas, and more into Europe as well. So wow. They was looking. They was looking to sort of be quite quite aggressive. But also, it was they knew they wasn't going to be able to compete at that time with the big London clubs or Man City or Man United or anything like that. It was about um, if they see the right player that, especially if it was going to be from Europe, that they was willing to invest in. It would be something to complement into their own sort of academy, especially with the higher age groups when it comes to sort of scholarship and pro contract age, and even beyond that. And I think the first two years Southampton was um, championship and then they got into the Premier League. So that recruitment sort of expanded to a little bit more aggressively into Europe, especially when Pochettino came um, because he started to integrate sort of young players into the first team early. So our focus then went from just having sort of a lens view and see if we if we liked the player we would, we would go for and would be. We need to be a little bit more aggressive because at 16-17 if we can look to purchase a player from another club domestically or from a European club that they had to be sort of bypass the academy and be ready to sort of maybe train regularly with the first team with a view to sort of playing regularly in the under-23s even at 16-17 so the sort of profile dynamic changed, the, the financial parameters changed and sort of the aggression changed and we was quite successful during that period with players um, especially domestically like Sam Gallagher and Jack Stevens. that came in from outside that was playing uh, 16, 17 first team football but were also good enough to sort of train with Southampton's first team obviously not to get regular minutes so that was kind of the focus there and Potch was really big on the character side, which suited my sort of attributes on um, how we recruit players because it was all about transferring environments. So where was the player coming from? And we knew exactly what he was coming to with Southampton, and we knew exactly where the pathways and progressions would be if we could if we could integrate him into that system. So it was quite. It was a really good period because it sort of changed. It changed Southampton's focus a little bit from really sort of domestic, homegrown players to sort of having a, a youthful eye on what's going on abroad as well.
1: So tell us a bit about them. Your role, person. What was I mean? What was your you know your week to week like? I mean your daily working week like now. You've gone from head of coaching role at Millwall, which is yeah. you know, I imagine quite intense and practically on the you know within the office all the time. And what, what is it like now transferring that into like a full time scouting
2: role? Yeah, it was completely different to be fair because you didn't, I didn't have to be fixed down at Southampton on a permanent um, structure. So the idea was to sort of visit, to go down there if it was like meetings or if we had sort of training days or if we needed, if it come to that time we was looking to sort of purchase or, you know, highly recommend a player. So literally sort of maybe once or twice a month I was actually in Southampton for that process. The rest of the time, My working week would be, if I was going to tournaments abroad, that could be sort of one week, for example, sort of three, four days abroad. It could also be sort of under 18 games, under 16 games, domestically under 15 games. Um, Weekends was was taken up with games as well. So it kind of, my structured week was working from home. Um, We had a system where I could watch players as well, especially in Europe. So I'd watch players at home on a computer system. And then when we got to sort of target phase or when there was an interesting tournament for us, then I would be going abroad. So I'd be combining sort of a lot of on the roads, travelling around to various locations. My, my main target countries at that time was, I don't know if this was purposely done, but it was France, Belgium, Holland, which I spent a lot of time in, um, recruiting young players. So that would, and you could go to Holland, for example, on a Friday And because of the way the youth games were set up and all the way, and if I was needed for first team games, I often did them as well. I could obviously maybe take in five, six, seven games from Friday to Monday. So that would be, for an example, from one working weekend. And that would be from various age groups, 15s to under 17s, under 19s, and probably always a first team game while I was out there. So... And then the next week could be in Belgium, the next week it could be focused, something going on domestically. It just depended where we was on sort of targets at the time that needed um, more attention than not.
1: Interesting. I'm just, I'm curious as well, you know, as
2: you you know,
1: you've obviously grown up within the London Academy system, so you've probably got really good knowledge of all those London players, as you know, you see them as I've worked in them. So then you, you have that network already. Then did you almost have to then start from scratch thinking right now I've got to go and you know, find out who are the best 17, 18, 19, 20 year old players all around you know Western Europe. Is that all to do? De- was there, you know, how, how, do you go, how do you go about that process of then upskilling yourself and that whole new network of players?
2: Yeah, I kind of when I had my year out, I, I built up a lot of I mean, I worked at Bayer Leverkusen briefly, that's when I started to build up some good contacts abroad. Um, to started to sort of open a network especially in places like France, France, Belgium and Holland, that's where I sort of really focused my studies on, even I did one in Spain as well. but And Germany, I kind of, through Leverkusen, could branch out into different contacts as well, using Leverkusen as, as, as sort of the main source. But if I needed to go to other clubs, then they would also offer me a lot of help in that, even when I was at Southampton, in terms of the right people, networking. And... <clears throat> When I was at Southampton, when I first started to do that, it was a case of, you know, just, I had a brief knowledge. I didn't have a vast knowledge. It was a case of just, um, I had a knowledge of European talent, which helped me. So a bit of a case, it's just sort of branching out of my contacts more than anything can get into, and getting to know the European clubs and the structures and become really focused on how they work. Because I knew throughout, you know, further on in my career, that this would be um, sort of a key part to, you know, key part to my sort of journey if I wanted to progress higher, more into the first team, more into the which I am now a sporting director scene. So, um, it was, took me probably about a good year and a half to really develop those contacts. Southampton was very good at putting me in the right places, first of all, like in the right situations where the tournaments were, you know, various tournaments were over Europe. And from there, while I was there, I just networked, and then it just went on and on and got stronger and stronger and stronger.
1: And, and, and what was it, what, how did, you know, clubs react to you? I mean, you know, if you're like a PSV in Ajax, so those sorts of clubs, those big, big Dutch clubs, for example, you know, and, you know, the English clubs want to, you know, their, their talent is a big commodity.
2: How, mm-hmm. how do they react to you? Do they welcome you with open arms or are they look a bit more cagey? No, or? no, the Dutch clubs have always been very good. Um, especially, I mean, Ajax is a real interesting one um, because they're quite open for clubs all around Europe to come in. And watch all their games. You know they can watch. You can watch as many games as you want. They're happy to talk to you because their view at the time was, you know, you you can't replicate what we're doing. You can't. You're not just going to come in and take our players anyway. So you can look mm-hmm. at them, and if there's an interest, you know, we can have a discussion. And, and the same, a lot of the German clubs were like that: Dortmund, Leverkusen, Munich. They were very open. Yeah, you can watch as much as you want. Southampton had just crept into the Premier League at that time, which. Um, which was which was a good base for young players to potentially attract. So, but historically, with clubs like Ajax, like Leverkusen, like Lille, like a Bruges, that had produced so many players for their own first team, those were the more difficult ones to to attract over to to Southampton because their their pathways were um, already sort of mapped out for them with their own clubs and. I think the only way you're gonna prize them away is if he was a Chelsea or an Arsenal, you're gonna be really aggressive in the conversation stages, where Southampton weren't at that stage then. They wanted to do things the right way. And if they could get sort of a talent, they would, but there was no way they was gonna ever compete financially with sort of the you know the big boys of Europe. So, and because of Southampton's position in the market then, clubs were very open. You know, especially european clubs are very open to you know welcome you into their club let you watch their games there was never it was always transparency um with that and from that you know you developed some i developed personally some really good relationships because i suppose they knew that southampton at that time aggressively couldn't really get some of their players um, so we so even though we knew the best clubs we sort of we went the market below that. So instead of going for an IX PSV or final player, we might go look at more of a or AZ, or you know clubs that are maybe achievable to us. And the same in Germany, rather than going for the Leverkusen or Dortmund, you know we might look at you know maybe at the time like Hamburg, for example, a very good academy. Or especially in France, France was an interesting one because France there wasn't a set academy where where. In England, it was the big ones that sort of dominated France, had an abundance of talent and a range of different academies, so that was a really good market for us at the time as well. Interesting. And what's your thoughts about you mentioned pathways there? I mean, and Southampton
1: almost had that the ironic, the ironically had that golden age of they drop down a division, a lot of their academy players get opportunities, and then Mm. they come back up, and then it's a lot more difficult. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, practicalities of that, you know, sort of having. The challenge of getting players from the academy through.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think now it's become more. Um, I think on my studies back then, sort of two thousand and nine to sort of twelve period, Germany was leading the way by, you know, across Europe by miles. So when I was when I was at Bayer Leverkusen at the time, they had a philosophy where they had to, each year, produce two two players ready for their first team. One had to be ready for their first team and the other one what they call is bubbling behind. So he could either be very close, if not be loaned out to another Bundesliga club or second division Bundesliga club or could be sold and reinvested back into the academy because their view was they were spending, I think it was about four and a half million euros a year on their academy to produce top talent for their first team. And their philosophy, Rudy Voller was sporting director at the time, was very clear Whichever head coach we bring in will adhere to what we do. So we're not going to bring in sort of a manager who's going to change it. This is our philosophy. And I think it still stands to this day. And Germany became really aggressive in the national teams with the under-15s all the way through to under-21s. They started to dominate sort of European competition then. So most of the clubs become aligned with the German FA and started to follow the same sort of path as Leverkusen was doing of trying to get players into their first team. So that's when I really see it as a as, as a sort of a process, really an effective use. Whereas actually, the proof was in the pudding; players were coming through, and there wasn't many clubs at that time doing it. Where Southampton was probably leading the way, and I think maybe circumstances of them dropping down to League One um, forced them to do that. But they were also intelligent enough to realise that they're still um, they have a, an outstanding academy, so why not why not make use of that? why not tap into that? Why not give players, why not give players more of an opportunity? And as you said, there was, a, you know, Luke Shaw, James Paul Prowse, Chamberlain, Walcott, Bale, yeah. you know, there's some real top world-class talent that's come through there. So, I think sometimes when you're at a championship or a League One club, and even more so now, that you will put more younger players coming through, especially if you have a strong academy, say like a Middlesbrough, for example, you know, it's a good strong championship club, Sunderland in League One, they should be really utilising that. You know, they should be utilising that because they know they're not going to go out and spend loads on players. So when you've got yeah. such a factory like that of top talent behind you, it's, you know, it's crazy not to really tap into that because they're Cat One academies. They're going to be well-invested, well-resourced. You'd like to think that at 17, 18, 19, you could start to look at players that you know could start challenging for places in the first team.
1: Interesting. If one last question before we move on to the team board. It's just, I'm interested in that, because now you know as a recruitment you know what what is the difference then between you know what's that fine line between knowing that 17 18 year old can go to the first team or they can't go for the first team what exactly are you looking for you know obviously you know the younger one sees you like to say the talent skill but I imagine it's much more fine line much more marginal gains as you get closer to the top
2: yeah it is and I think the things when I've always learned and I took it into first team recruitment was environments and the I sort of learned a lot when I was doing my sort of sports psychology studies and studying different businesses, different aspects, different sports, different philosophies of life of of, of once you've honed down the, the actual talent, what we spoke about at 17, 18, you know, the the athletic side, the technical side, you know, some basic tactical elements. So they've got the raw talent of you to become an interest and for you to keep following at that stage. Then and when you're looking to that process of is he going to come into your first team and at the time if i was at Southampton if i was at tottenham both Premier League then it's down to sort of it is the environments can they can you have you done enough profiling work around them as an individual so you've done the footballing aspects but have you done enough profiling work as them as an individual so do we know enough about their background to do we, do we know enough if they can speak the language do we we expect them to be 17 18 year olds we expect them still to be Young in their mindset, we don't expect them to be integrated into a first team. That's what our environment is for. That's to that's to shape them into what we want to. But have they got some basic characteristic traits that are transferable from where they are then to what they're coming into? So if it was Tottenham, character for that. Once we've identified the playing aspects, character becomes then a key element for someone like Potch and it did at Southampton. So then you can start to look at sort of. Characteristic traits that, that we have in, within our first team. But what sort of leadership and characteristic traits that we, that we that we can identify? And we're not expecting them to have an abundance being such a young, a young lad at 18, but there'll be certain elements by the way he plays, by the work we've done in his background, by by the young mm-hmm. players' own coaching journey, what he's gone for himself. And if you marry all of them up, it becomes we're trying all we're trying to do is just tip, because there's no guarantee. What we're trying to do is just tip the Tip the balance in our favour with the you know, amount of work that's being done, and because there is so much data output nowadays of, of especially young talent that you can look at, you must still do for me. You must still do the profiling work and the characteristic work because if you go into any world class environment, you know they have to they have to have those elements that they're going to you know at least give them a chance.
1: I'm commissioned to do that because <laughs> you talked about measurables measure and that's tricky, isn't it? Because you're talking about characteristics and personality and you yeah. know, leadership qualities so how do you measure that and for example you know you're, you're recruiting a boy from Holland for example how do you you know how do you do that background well I mean, how does that practically work
2: yeah so if you're going to go further back even younger it does become a little bit more difficult so an 18 year old if we're looking at Southampton or Tottenham for example it's probably a lot more information about they're ready so <clears throat> we had a team of analysts that can do lots of media searches and lots of background searches in terms of what they are. Then when it comes 16, it becomes about the relationship. So when you're looking to acquire a player at that age, then you're looking at sort of more the parent backgrounds, where they're from, what what country they're from, you know, can they adapt to the language? Can they adapt to coming into our environment? And I think at 16, sometimes, the advantage of if you've got a good relationship with a club you can actually invite them over for a week beforehand which we did at Tottenham with a couple of European players we saw because of relationships with clubs and that gives them sort of a, a small flavour so it gives us a chance to learn about them it gives a chance for the player to learn about the club and if you're fortunate enough you can do that before sort of pre-investment if you, if you haven't got that relationship with a club and you can't do that then it is a case of basically if there's not the data and the information out, you're going purely on sort of scouting and information and what you're, for me, because I had a sort of slight advantage understanding more about the psychology of stuff. So I'm sort of, when even when I'm watching the games, I'm looking at certain characteristic traits that stand out. Then I'm also, you know, as much information as I can, to, you know, if that, how long have they been in that particular club? Then if that particular club, how they've been trained for sort of three, four, five years you know, a little bit more about their information and their family background. So the information becomes a little bit more limited at younger ages. But because of that, when you're making an investment at 16, then you can understand, okay, if we, then you start to have conversations with the club to say that it's the information we found. My advice would be that he's probably going to need a couple of years to integrate. So when you've made that investment, you're also allowing for the time to integrate where it's, Obviously, at first team level, it's completely different. So, it's you have to adapt your your methods. Still using the same methods, but you also you adapt to 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 the needs of the player in the club at that time. Whether it be a sixteen year old or a first team player.
1: Interesting. So, that, so the, moving on into Bournemouth, tell us about that. <clears throat> first team recruitment. That's your big. That's your. That's your. That's like a, that one of your big first roles in... In that environment like that. Is it, what, tell us about that. how did that come back? And what was that like? What's the
2: difference between working in that first team and then and working in a development sort of phase? Yeah, it's completely different. Um it's completely different because Bournemouth at the time had just come from League One into the championship. I I had a relationship with the assistant manager Jason Tyndall through his dad through the youth sectors, Jimmy Tyndall worked at West Ham in sort of similar sort of roles that I did. So I was introduced to Jason a couple of times. And Jimmy sort of recommended me to to him and Ed that I'd met maybe once to just sort of have a meeting because they was looking to restructure their recruitment now being a championship club. Um, Because before they didn't really have sort of a fully integrated sort of scouting system. So um, I went for a meeting with them sort of in the June of 2013 I was invited in by Jason initially with him and Ed. We had sort of, you know, two, three hours of discussions and they kind of, I listened to them in terms of what they wanted to sort of, to kind of players and how they wanted to move forward and their playing philosophies and stuff, but they didn't really have, you know, they were managers and coaches at the time. an idea how to set up a sort of a recruitment system, how to have a database, how to have, you know, stuff where they can sort of, Get eyes out on the ground and expand their network a little bit. They was quite conscious that now they moved to championship club, they need really needed to move um, differently from what they had been doing. So, I was offered the role sort of later that evening after that initial chat and managed to negotiate. They were very good. Southampton let me sort of work sort of a week or so's notice and then take that role into Bournemouth. It was right in the midst of a transfer window, so there was sort of no time to sort of settle in. Like you have the time at youth, it was a case of right. What do what do we need? So first of all, I need to build that relationship with 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 Ed and Jason, of you know how they play, their coaching philosophy, um, the environment, and start putting all these things into practice. Then I had to sort of implement a couple of basic systems, um, like data systems like Scout Seven, and start use of White Scout that we could use straight away just so we could have a base of you know storage of players and to look at players. Then it was a case of expanding the the scouting recruitment from what they have been done because when it was league one they the more focus was league two or maybe other league one players and and sort of the young player market. At Championship level you can start to really focus on the the high end players that the Arsenals, Chelsea's, Tottenham's are going to lend out on loan. Then you can start looking at more aggressively uh, um, different championship clubs that you think that are going to be viable for yourselves. And then League One, League Two, working down. But it was also, um, they wanted to, you know, not brush, but have an idea of what was going on in Europe. And I did have quite a strong idea of that working the last two, three years in Southampton of working knowledge, especially sort of France, Belgium and Holland and Germany. So it was putting those sort of small things into place but also really trying to, you know, work within their sort of transfer targets until the end of that August. So it was quite a, it was completely different. So the the pressures were different in terms of Bournemouth wanted a striker at that time and they had to have a striker. So they wanted a striker. So instead of doing the, maybe the work you have on the youth phase, especially they're working with the 17 to 21 year old, this was, you know, a lot more information based, a lot more, you know, we hadn't had like, the systems up in place, so it was trying to it was trying to work through those systems and why trying to work through understand how they work very very quickly, and also try and find the right striker for their um, for their needs because they wanted that to go fresh into the championship season. So, you know, the but I think, um, and I've said this before, when I've done some different interviews on podcasts and stuff, my grounding at youth level helped me identify more comprehensively at first team level Um, because I think having that youth level working from grassroots all the way up to sort of 21s then sort of slowly into the first team at Southampton to full-on first team at Bournemouth having that process of how to sort of look at talent and know how they could develop in different environments really helped me understand you know that is you can implement a lot of those into the first team but obviously it's going to be under different parameters different settings different pressures different profiles but you can still take a lot of that with you and I think you understand more about how players they could develop into your environment so when you're making decisions on signing players for a lot more money 2-3 million pounds at the time in Bournemouth um, your decisions become a lot more clearer because you can see you can still have that vision so for example uh, Callum Wilson had just started having a really good season at Coventry, hadn't, hadn't really had much of a background, and he was still a bit of a risk to us. But when you understand your own club and your own environment, your own philosophies, and then you do the work on him, you can still it's still the same as sort of when you're looking at a top youth player. But this one you're looking at a first team. You can still look at them and still still see those skills are transferable. You still have to do your characteristic homework. You still have to do your profiling, but you're just doing it more mm. of a you've got more of a resource to do it at first team level because there's a lot more information available to you. So in some ways it becomes a lot more easier with the information, but decisions have to be a lot more clinical knowing that they probably have to impact a lot more quickly than they would do at youth level where they might have that, you know, integration process here. We do as much as we can to integrate them at first team level, but ultimately the expectations is they have to come in and, Hit the ground running more or less straight away. Interesting. And
1: let's just some conscious time here because I know you're busy. I just want to move on. So, then you move get you move on back to Spurs as head of a yeah. potential talent ID? Just tell us about that because that's quite a quite unique title as well. <laughs> Does that allude to the name of you looking for those those ones, your next potential stars rather than the ready made ones, or how did that work?
2: Yeah, that was a combination of both. So, um and that role came about because I worked with Paul Mitchell's head of recruitment at the time at Southampton when I was there. And Maurizio was, was, was manager there. So um, because we was really successful at Bournemouth and managed to get up into the Premier League with some sort of really clever recruitment and the way Ed adjacent worked, this role became available to work to alongside Mitch. Mitch had the main focus, was like a technical director type of role. So my focus was sort of top talent from sort of 21s down to 16s. And it wasn't. It wasn't sort of more academy based. It was more players that could come in to hit the first team straight away. So, a lot of work on players that we did on the younger talents like Song, like Delielli. There was various aspects of it where a lot of work that that what we did at Southampton because I understood how Mauricio worked intimately. I could come in. I was a bit more well resourced at Tottenham. We had a lot more data. We had a lot more staff. We had a lot more eyes on the ground. We had a lot more recruitment analysts. So it was a lot. It was a, in a one way. It was we could cast our net far and wide um, without stretching ourselves to you know too too much because we had those resources available. But I think the key for me was I was I was able to hit the ground running because I understood how Mauricio worked straight away. I understood all I had to do was sort of marry up and learn and I understood how John McDermott worked from my previous working relationship there so it was kind of a good role for me to to understand how the academy worked how the first team worked and then recruit accordingly within those roles.
1: I mean I'm just thinking out loud here talk about the thing about the challenges there it's quite interesting because you almost like working you're working your way up and now you know almost at the pinnacle of the game there at Tottenham at the Premier League I mean, what 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 are the challenges and really, you know, that like we talked about earlier, the mm. fine line, you know, recognizing that a Alley has the potential to go into a, you know, a Tottenham team and make an impact.
2: Yeah, I think the best one was um, Alley was sort of purchased in in the January with a views of staying at MK until the end of the season and and then coming in having a pre season with Tottenham. So we we had his pathway mapped out. We, you know, at the time he was a cost of around sort of five million. And the, the focus was to send Delhi out onto a championship club. But he had such an impressive pre-season. Um, they surprised sort of all of us with, you know, with his work rate, his attitude, his application. And Potch was so impressed by that, that he kept him around the first team. And that's when it became more apparent to us that once we've identified the talent, and those characteristic skills... Would really you know, would really set players apart, especially coming into this environment. So when we moved on to someone like Song, who was still quite very young at the time, he would um, he stood out for his talent on the pitch of Leverkusen. My my intimate work in the neighbor, Leverkusen, how they worked, how they developed, give a little bit of insight of the environment that he was coming in from. We could see that he's. Um, we did a lot of work on his background. You could see by the way he played that he had sort of that work ethic because his movements off the ball were, and the way he sort of chased and hunted the ball down was excellent. We knew that he was still quite raw. So, and I think with talent at that time, Tottenham, it was quite a difficult challenge because we had, we were trying to compete with Chelsea, Arsenal, the big Manchester clubs, Liverpool. And we had to get this talent right because we couldn't, we couldn't go out and buy the ready-made player that you know, the big clubs was, but our target was still to try and for to try and still achieve Champions League status. Um, and at that time, you know, we were very competitive and come close to the to the Premier League. So and it was and that and that's when I really see that how, you know, recruitment and environments really can help players because someone come in for the first three, four months and it took him three, four months to adapt. But once once he integrated into that environment quickly, then you know, the rest is history. He became, you know, who he is became today. And even with players like vera we, we kind of went for those players that were just that level underneath, and that and that allowed us to probably get talent at their peak when they're hungry, rather than mm. do the finish, finished article. And potch loved them type of players because he could really sort of push them, challenge them, focus them, and get the best out of them. So if there was a Top class level. He was. His aim was to make them world class level, and definitely national team players in their own right. So it was a really, it was a for, it was a really good time for everything to be aligned and to really, you know, home in on those sort of top world class talent.
1: Interesting. And so then you move on to a new, new, new um, experience <clears throat> in Sweden, Östersunds. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. How that come about, and then what was the main, you know, what the main differences with being a TD now?
2: Yeah. So that was. Um, I took on the challenge I, I had a phone call from the owner at the time who called Daniel Schimberg just out of the blue um, he acquired my number I think maybe from sort of Graham Potter and Graham had just moved on to Swansea and they, and they, they had a new head coach called Ian Birch who's now at North County as a young English coach to sort of continue in Graham's work um, but what they didn't have what they wanted was um, they wanted to recruit sort of top talent at their level so it's where Tottenham was looking at world class talent. They was now looking at players that had gone through maybe an academy system at a big club and give them an opportunity to play in the first team. And because of my background, you know, he he personally the, the owner said that that was really appealing. I was first offered the head of recruitment role, which I sort of politely declined. And he said, "Well, oh, how about more of a structured technical director role where you can work closely with a coach? Um, we don't have sort of the resources what you've been used to, but." recruitment and player contracts and getting the right players and it's going to be a big part of the role as well as sort of building maybe the team around the team so uh, more get more into sports science and more analytics so it took on different elements of responsibility where recruitment was still a main focus but working in different areas of the club Um, on a smaller basis but it sort of gave me a knowledge more of an intimate knowledge of different subjects around sort of the team behind the team, especially with, I had a good understanding of academy, youth systems and recruitment and coaching, but now I was looking at more science, more physical, more medical, more how the different elements of the first team support staff integrated more within that first team structure and how to sort of manage that together with the process of what, what the club was looking to achieve. So, and then when you sort of pin down those sort of higher high skill elements it sort of give me a a real intimate knowledge of you know how how much of contribution they and the key roles they play within their respective fields to the to the first team set up to the first team to the academy so it was having an alignment club vision having a philosophy and a structure and amalgamating those footballing departments to you know support that process.
1: Was it was it a challenge going into a smaller club a smaller league you know for instance, you know not necessarily not necessarily in terms of resources but in just you know the players the level you know understanding that maybe these you know what were the levels needed for that particular club
2: at the time yeah it was I, I did get along from, um I did have an understanding of the house friends again. I didn't know it intimately um and it is completely in terms of levels it's completely different to sort of some of the top leagues in Europe especially the Premier League there's some really sort of outstanding teams in there like Malmo and Hammerby that I suppose like any league, they're the standout teams. They're the big teams and they produce a lot of players and they can, and they can sort of invest a little bit more in their structures where Osterson's, it was kind of like going back to when I first started my career were in terms of resource. You had to be really smart in terms of our recruitment. So um, during that recruitment period, we signed seven players and I think our total um, net spend was around 150,000 euros. And wow. yeah, it was and our focus was just players that have come from top top background. So we looked at young English talent like Charlie Colkett, we managed to get from Chelsea. Yeah, so Charlie went there. Um Ravel come in from, from Lazio on a free. with Francis um, came in from Crystal Palace. And then we had players like Isaac Combo who had been We've been at Chelsea with Charlie recently that have been at various big clubs. So we brought him in. We brought a player called Tom Isherwood in, who had been at Bayern, then went to Bradford, then came back. So we wanted to integrate it with, because you couldn't play more than sort of six, or no, seven home, seven foreign players in any first team game. So we wanted to develop combined top Swedish talent with a blend of top talent from Europe. But we knew we had to do it with those type of players where they'd had just a sort of limited exposure to first team, but we knew they could potentially have the talent to, to have um, in a lesser challenge league like, like Sweden where they could probably maybe showcase their skills more. And for players like Charlie and Ravel, you know, they worked out really well because um, it was a platform for them to play first team football. And also, if Osterson did well, then, you know they could maybe sort of get into the Europa League, which they had done previously before. So, even though the league was completely different than what they'd used to in England, or different ones, but the chance for maybe a European exposure was a focus for these players as well. Interesting.
1: let's, let's moving on then to your most recent role at Huddersfield. Tell us about that and how that came about, and you come back to England, obviously.
2: Yeah, Huddersfield came about really quickly. Um, I was approached initially by. CEO at the time, Julian Winter, um, as a potential candidate for the role, along with a couple of others. Um, then I was asked to interview, which I did. Um, ostersons was okay with that. I had a long contract to osterson so if it was to move, then it would have to be sort of discussed or sort of principally between the two clubs. Um, then I was sort of offered the role July, August 2019, on a view to maybe starting it after the transfer window, which was sort of September time, and it gives a chance for Osterson to replace myself and um do it that way round. But Huddersfield accelerated things quite quickly because they just come down from the Premier League and they agreed a compensation with osterson for me to sort of start pretty quick straight into sort of that head of football operations role which is a sport director or technical director, still the same responsibilities. And at the time the new ownership we've gone for a new ownership we've gone for a transition from Premier League to Championship so there was lots going on they wanted to make a they wanted to make a change to their current first team head coach or manager so my first sort of two three weeks in the role before I had time to sort of integrate was to um, look at head coaches look at managers that could potentially um, fit Huddersfield so During that time, I had to quickly learn a lot about the club, learn about the history, learn about the town, learn about the environment, and come up together with the CEO, with the owner, with various football elements of the club, football instructors of the type of coach that they wanted to take the club forward at that time. Um, And we agreed that we wanted to, you know, concentrate on our youth. So we wanted youth players to give a chance. So looking at coaches, Became we had to have a coach that had that background. We wanted a coach that was sort of up and coming, but also understood maybe the the English elements of the game. So, like recruiting players, it becomes sort of a profile of now recruiting coaches. So, again, looking at backgrounds, looking at details, looking at records, looking at playing styles. But the big thing for us was there was two things that probably necessarily sometimes you know recruiting coaches don't look at. We wanted coaches that could be really effective with the wider community because the Huddersfield um, supporters were really, they wanted that close connection with their coaches, the coaches that were prepared to do some work in the wider community as well as their day-to-day coaching duties and also had a good um, record of working with young players and would be willing to do that at, at Huddersfield. So once we've gone through that process, we narrowed down sort of five or six potential candidates you know, we got permission from clubs that we needed to, to speak to those candidates, and then from that all of that process, we came we came through with um, Danny and Nicky Cowley, um, and sort of come through our tick boxes at the time of they had um, good records of coming up through the non leagues up into League One. Had worked with on a on a on a budget. They worked. Um, they'd done really well in FA Cup runs. They've been quite successful in their own rights. and they had produced sort of two or three really good sort of youth players at Lincoln so taking all that in mind um you know we given them the opportunity to sort of coach and manage into sort of a first team environment at Huddersfield which was going through sort of a big transition period from premier league into championship
1: and, and how 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 involved do you still get in the recruitment are you still with you know pivotal part of that you still been, <clears throat> you know you still yeah. is that 20 of your- Means I mean, or do do you delegate that out? I mean, obviously, yeah. So,
2: yeah. So at, the, at this time, you uh, Huddersfield um, completely different to us. Since you're managing footballing department, so under my remit, we came recruitment, um, first team and elite recruitment came academy, came medical, came sports science, came analytics, um, and some elements of the training ground was under restructure as well, as well as working day to day with the with the manager. And working, sort of managing up as well, working with the board, working with the ownership. So, I quite have quite a grand um, responsibilities. So, the first thing I did was looked at the the structure of each of those departments. Recruitment being recruitment is always your first main focus, especially going through a transition period, because at that time we had players that wanted to to leave. Um, I came in Morris at the end of the summer window, so. What we had till January window, we couldn't change. So it gave me a brief chance, to, especially on the recruitment aspects, to plan, to look at players that we could potentially look at who wanted to continue their journey elsewhere. So players wanted to leave, maybe thought they was at a higher level. We had to look at their their pathways. Could we loan or could we sell? Then we had to look at um, players that we maybe had to look at in January. when The loan market became really strong. Where you know we could then we were fortunate enough to get players like Smith Rowe and Trevor Chalabra into it. So because of that, Huddersfield had a three-year plan um, to get back into the Premier League. They didn't want to use all their parachute money straight away and, and try and buy their way back up. They wanted to do it right by looking at the players that didn't want to be into the club, integrating top loan players, making a couple of good sensible investments, and also integrating academy players. So that took up probably say 50, 60% of my time. But also, still not to, you know, still had to have my focus on making sure that the other departments were, you know, um, up to sort of like structured standard and elite standard of where we wanted it to be. And sort of bringing that all together and trying to bring that all together to work harmoniously with the first team. So uh, these roles with a sporting director, head of football, it is about. Is um is having that sort of long term vision for the football club, You're and having and having an understanding of you know those areas that you know around the football, the team behind the team, and being aware that you know you're trying to lead them into all work together to be aligned with the club philosophy, the vision, the structure, and also have um, potential you know the recruitment, the you know, head coaches. You have to have an eye on if, if that changes, you have to have an eye of you know what what we're gonna to look to do to improve in the future, but how we're gonna do it. So it's kind of a long term strategic vision, that role.
1: And you mentioned ML Smith there and I mean this season Levi Colwell got Levi hmm. there and John John Russell as well coming to Chelsea boys. Yeah. How important is yeah. it the you know tapping into that you know the big category one system all those young next generation superstars.
2: Yeah, and especially now, I think it's invaluable. I think it's invaluable. I think it's one of the key areas. If you look at especially clubs like Chelsea and Arsenal, um, players, you know, Trevor's come on to have really good exposure now in Chelsea's first team. Smith-Rose is doing fantastically well. Players like Rhys James have been in, in uh, Wigan that season. So it really gives these young players uh, a great platform to play at championship level to you know which is a really competitive level and a really physically demanding level with the game demand and the, and especially the the impact they can have on you as a young player so you you became a you become a talented individual at a top at a top club maybe sort of playing under 23 level to then sort of going into the fire and that can really sort of set the challenges and I think that's where a lot of these young players can really sort of challenge themselves and go back to their respective clubs, even at, at a Chelsea and Arsenal level because they have, not necessarily, they've honed more on their their skill and their talent, but I think it's more exposure to sort of real-life football, what the challenges they're going to face and it was good for us, it was so good for players like Smith Rowe at the time because Huddersfield were going for a challenge where they were in a relegation fight, so he was taken on, he came from Arsenal to Huddersfield where he had to use in a dog fight and you know, that really sort of pulled on his character side. So these young players get some excellent ground and Huddersfield have continued that with, like you say, them, them young Chelsea recruits, and I'm sure they will go on to next season to have some interesting pathways.
1: And what about yourself? What are your own ambitions in the game? I mean, you're, you know, you've done so much, got a major CV. What, what, what's your what's next, <clears throat>
2: you know, the future for you? Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, I've always been open to... Um, when I was younger, you know, when I first started the journey, I was always interested in becoming sort of a head coach, manager. I would be open to that if it was the right club. But also my main focus would be to continue to support a director side, a good a good club and that had the capacity and foundation to build sort of over a long-term project. So that would be sort of my next sort of main areas that I'm looking at, either in UK or, or abroad. And what, what advice would you give to a young scout
1: who's starting out once you get into the game but get a lot of questions from this, these sorts of things? How, how you know, to, to have a tremendous career like you've had and worked your way all the way to the top?
2: Yeah, and I think I think if, when you're when you're young, I look at my journey and I think, as we touched upon it earlier, is to get that, don't try and rush. If your ambitions is to sort of go as high as you can in the game, maybe an eventual sport director or head of recruitment at first team, is to really... Learn your craft and uh, academy youth level at a, at a good uh, good youth, uh, club, whether that be a Premier League club, a championship club, and really learn your craft. Learn your skills at learning how to find top talent, how to home top talent, how clubs develop top talent, and and continue to, continue to learn and build around that. Um, I tapped onto a different skill like sports psychology. That became sort of a, a different area alongside coaching and recruitment that I focused on. And again, I would advise, you know, whatever your interest is, whether it could be sports science or analytics, is to add another add another element to your skill stack as well. So as you progressively move up home in your craft, learn from other sports, learn from other businesses, don't be afraid to ask questions and go out to you know different clubs or you know, really branch out and have an open mind to it, but stick to your craft as much as you can in the early phases while you're learning and then work your way up progressively and I found that's really helped me now at first team level having that sort of foundational um, grounding David, thanks very much mate it's been amazing oh no, no worries thanks for having me on
0: thanks for tuning in to the mypersonalfootballcoach.com soccer player development podcast MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.